0: You're listening to Crushing It, a podcast with me, Jennifer Hoff, a place to highlight women who are empowering others, sharing advice, and just doing good. I hope it inspires you to learn, grow, and go out in the world and crush it. My next guest is truly crushing it. She is a mother. She loves the outdoors. In fact, so much so that she eventually became the very first Black Supervisor of a U.S. National Forest here in Oregon and now she is an author and in this book she's detailing also how she helped evolve that agency and she really writes a lot about confronting discrimination on so many levels, so many levels that this is just a must read. So everybody welcome Gloria Brown. Thank you so much Gloria for being here thank you. I want to start with this process and your commitment to the outdoors because after reading some things about you, I get the sense that this sort of had to unfold because you started your professional path as something called a transcriptionist out in Washington, D.C. What does that mean? What did your job look like in the very beginning?
1: boring. It was actually those big um, uh, environmental impact statements that people see and hope they don't have to read, but they do to see if if we're telling them the truth. I transcribed those for perpetuity. And that was my job.
0: And there was something inside of you, I think, maybe saying that you kind of knew that wasn't what you were going to do forever. But then your husband's death, I think, had a profound effect on sort of where your, your path took you, right?
1: That's exactly right. I had three children. I needed more money. And so I looked for a process as well as a strategy was to always be a forest supervisor.
0: That was your, that was your dream goal, always? That was my dream, yes. And I don't want to gloss over that. I mean, you lost your husband at a very young age with three young children to a drunk driver. I mean, how did that change you?
1: Um, You know, if it doesn't kill you, it builds you up, I guess. It was a very difficult time in my life. I had family, I had church, all the roots that one would need to get one through all of that. And the grieving probably went on for, for, I don't know, probably a year. And then I was able to start getting back into my job. You know, if you're going to be a forest supervisor, you have to be in the woods. And the book, it tells the story of how I got from A to B to C and the issues that I had to address as I, I went. The first place DC sent me was Missoula, Montana with three teenage children. That didn't work. I loved it. Missoula was definitely big sky country. It was beautiful. But my daughter had an incident, which is in the book, where she was actually discriminated against. And it was actually in the Missoula paper.
0: And some of the irony in that, though, is you actually had visited Oregon before your time in Missoula, right? And you came here and said, oh, it's too white here. We can't be here either. (laughs) Well, well, I thought the agency
1: was going to send you to someplace like Atlanta. And, of course, there's an African-American group. And so I had one foot in the white world of the Forest Service, and my other foot in the black world of my family. And so I was used to being the only black person in the room, unless I went down into the basement where the mail room was. But my kids were not, they had not had that exposure. And if I had to do all over again, I don't think I would have taken them to Missoula, Montana. I really don't, because that was the first time we were separated as a family. But interesting enough, Jennifer, they tell me now that experience strengthened them. It made them stronger. And it certainly made them understand there there were nice people, nice white people, and not so
0: nice white people. In in Oregon, going back to what I said about, you know, your thoughts on Oregon back in the eighties. I mean, Oregon has a a history of racism, a strong history of it. And eventually you made your way here. So 30, 40 years later, do you think Oregon has changed at all from back the first time you were here? Well, that's a good question.
1: I think it's a pivotal moment. When I watch the demonstrations not the outliers who want to make us look bad but the black and whites that are and and all latinos um asians that are marching for black lives matter but the bottom line if you improve the lives of black people you will automatically improve the lives of others because we are seen next to the indigenous native americans as the bottom of that caste system if you want to call it that so um so yeah i think i think things have changed i'm not sure about the agency when i talk to people who were there um, but I do have two presentations that I'm going to be making regarding my book. And one is actually to the leadership team. And I'm actually going to ask them what progress progress have they made. And my understanding is we're not doing as well as we were doing when I was there. And well, so holding,
0: I, holding people accountable is is partly how I think we create change, right? Exactly. And And let's get to the heart of your job. I mean, you oversaw the Sayusla National Forest, right? The Sayusla National Forest. What did your job all entail? I mean, as an outdoors woman myself, like, I'm just in awe of you right now because I think it sounds so neat. I know you had challenges, and I know there are certainly things that uh, everyone has to overcome, but overall, what what was your job?
1: As the leader of the forest, it was under 1,000 acres. And I was responsible for all the programs and activities that went on the National Forest. And I did that through my employees. And so I had a wonderful group of specialists uh, wildlife um, fish, uh, archaeologist, uh, forester and but everything I needed to be successful and they had the same mindset as I did I didn't have to go in there and say oh this is what we're going to do it was more
0: like can we do this boss I'm like we absolutely can and we did you're described as someone who is very funny a good listener and a good communicator what what uh, qualities would you use to describe yourself?
1: I can write. I do a very good job of writing, as you see in the book. But I also have the leadership skills that enable people to be all they can be. I respectfully go into the job. I use my skills to learn who people are by listening. So I, I would say I was a a negotiator a listener well-spoken and
0: funny where did the love from the outdoors come from though does that go back to childhood does it I mean where where does that come from you know Jennifer
1: miracles happen every day when I Finally realized that the Pacific Northwest was where I was supposed to be. Once I walked through those old growth forests and felt like I was in a cathedral, I knew it was where I was supposed to end up. It was the only way I could leave my family and make new roots. And my new roots are here in the Pacific Northwest.
0: I get it 100%. I wish I could take that feeling that I get in my bones when I'm on a hike or I'm in the middle of nowhere with nobody around and this space exists and I can just sit in it and be calm and take it in. It's it's just, it's a feeling unlike anything else. And I'm the same. I never would have experienced it anywhere but here. And I'm so thankful for that.
1: As am I, and I'll never leave. I still go in the forest. I still hike. I have friends that will allow me to go to some of the back places. I actually do wilderness still. And if, I, if my soul needs help, I go into the woods. I either go to the woods, I go to the beach, <laughs> but there is nothing like being in the middle of all these trees who are bigger than you and then being able to look down and see all the the life, the living life of, of, of the various plants, insects, uh, sword, sword ferns, uh, moss. It, I'm sorry.
0: It's just I everyone should have my experience
1: as far as I'm concerned.
0: I agree with you. It's it's really an incredible thing that we have in our backyard. And to that point, though, I want to ask you, do you think that the wilderness, do you think that nature is accessible for everyone? Do you think there's equity when it comes to that? Or are there still groups of people who who don't have that sort of access?
1: It's interesting. They have the access, but they're not, they don't feel themselves wanted. When we talk about inclusive, um, the people who we would need to talk to, which is one of the things I want to start doing, are African-American people, because they're the ones that could benefit so much from an experience in the woods. Now, it's not for everybody. I mean, you know, a lot of them from those 1890 schools want to be lawyers and doctors. I didn't want to be that. I, I, I wanted to walk on, on logs and, and sit by rivers and eat my lunch. So, but there are some of me out there. I just know they are. And I have to figure out, we have to figure out, how do we embrace the ones that would like to engage and benefit from their national forests?
0: I think your role, your leadership role, and laying it out in a book is a really good start because It's not a cliche, representation matters and being inclusive matters. And if people can see someone who looks like them in a role like yours, then you're already encouraging people to do that. And I think it's a pivotal moment
1: in our history now that things that we didn't think would happen before will happen now because of the desperation that people have of knowing that that world
0: is there and it's theirs. Mm. But you're really involved in that sort of diversity training, because even when you were with the Forest Service, I read you were one of, what, 11 Black people out of thousands of employees, and you had a pivotal role in diversity training too, right? Yes, I did.
1: It was mandatory training. And when we talk about everything on the job was not easy. (laughs) Imagine me in front of a bunch of white foresters and engineers who don't think women should actually be out there in the woods. So listening to me was even more difficult for me. And that's why I always make sure They had a potluck because it's interesting how people get when they're eating
0: food. Smart, smart lady. (laughs) I like that. But where did you draw from? I mean, I would have been terrified. I mean, where does that come from? And what advice do you have for other women or women of color who find themselves in a situation like that where they've got to dig deep and stand up for themselves and for other women? I guess
1: I would say if you have a goal and you have a strategy and you know you got to go by way of white men, one of the first things you do is see if you can find a mentor. Because you cannot get from A to B to C by yourself. You can watch how they get from A to B to see, But you can't get there unless you have someone that is is backing you up, someone who cares about your goals and objectives. And I had that in my boss, Tom Hamilton.
0: And so you're saying a mentor doesn't necessarily have to be a woman within the same profession or industry, but somebody who supports you and trusts you and wants to guide you no matter what? Right, and it depends on the organization. You take,
1: I mean, if it's Intel and there's women high up in Intel, then you find a way to ingratiate yourself to them and see if they would be your mentor. So it depends on the organization. And because this was a natural resource organization, uh, it was the men who made The
0: difference. And that's wonderful to hear that, but the public land management for the record has been called out for being a white man's world. So it's wonderful that you found that support system, but as a whole, there was and is probably a lot of work to be done. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think there may be, there may have been one, maybe two black forest supervisors in the South after
0: after I left, but I was the first one in the nation. I'm noticing that theme with a lot of these conversations I'm having with women is there's always sort of that extra next level, next step that women have to take. You have to prove it. You have to show it. It's it's just something something extra we've got to do in order to to let everybody know that we're we're going to do this and be successful. Always. Always. And I, I, I would just like to add that. The Soyuz law was a
1: broken forest when I got there. And it ended up getting an international award before I left. So don't let them say you can't do it. And watch out for the ones that give you a boat that's leaking. You don't want to go in a boat that's leaking unless you have what it takes just say, hey, this is not going to work. I am not going to fail. Help me plug this boat up.
0: Yeah. And ask women around you to help you plug it. Because more times than not, we've got some friends and family and a support group that uh, we either didn't know we had or we were too afraid to ask. And it's important to lean on those people sometimes. Right. You'll see that in my book. And because i have speaking of your book i have not said it yet it's called black woman in green and i want to read this line because it was written online that it is about women's history it is about racial discrimination in wilderness and it is about representation in the federal government i mean this isn't just about a job it's not about frolicking in the woods this is tackling large topics and as i said at the beginning it's a must read i think for everybody thank you yeah i have um what i like to do a lightning round where i ask you five quick questions and i want you to give me the first answer that comes to mind are you willing to do that yes okay real quick number one what is the first thing that you do in a pressure-filled situation you
1: You get your mind and soul in the right place before
0: you deal with it. Next. Number two, what is one word to describe yourself? (laughs) Successful. Mm, I like that. Number three, name something that brings you complete joy. Walking through a forest with trees, and animals and ferns and moss. Number four, what's your favorite food? <laughs> Ice cream. Ice cream. Ooh, that tastes good the last couple of days, huh? <laughs> and, is that the food? I food. Sure. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, so. And lastly and most importantly, because I think that women get better with age and we learn so much as we go. So I wanna know, what is the one thing that you would tell your 25 year old self?
1: Gloria, there would be people who will say, you can't do this. Do not
0: listen to them because you can. Because you can. I like that a lot. I think that's a good place to end. Black Women in Green is the book. Tell folks where they can find you if they're interested. It is on
1: Amazon. Um, It's in a lot of the local bookstores here in um, Portland. And uh, you can always check in with my publisher at Oregon State University Press.
0: Gloria, thank you so much for offering insight into uh, so many topics that are part of a national conversation right now, as well as just talking about your love of nature and the beauty that is just right in our backyard here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me, Jennifer. Thanks, Gloria. Thanks for listening to Crushing It. If you're interested in Gloria's new book, you can find it on my Twitter and Facebook pages. Next week's final guest is here to have some fun. We could certainly use it. She's a local winemaker serving up something that doesn't just taste good, but it's easy on the ears, too. Until then, keep crushing it.